Good morning. It's uh, 9.04. I'm Jay Barrett, and you're listening to The Coffee Table. Support comes from Pier 1 Theater, Homer's Community Theater, supporting community voices. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 226-2287 and pier1theater.org. This week on The Coffee Table, we're talking about Catchmack Bay State Park uh, and what to do there in the wintertime, we all know that you can go uh, hiking and uh, dip netting and uh, all sorts of things in the in the summertime, but we're going to find out what to do there in the winter. Some very exciting things, including glacier skating, and apparently there are yurts. Uh, my guests this morning include uh, Kirk Jackson. He's a member of the Kachemak Bay State Park Community Council. Uh, we have Kim McNett. Carl Stolfus, Aaron McKittrick, and Amelia Pollock all on the uh, line here. And we hope to have Jason Oakley, the park ranger, here at some point uh, soon. So uh, good morning to all of you. Good morning, Kurt. How, how are you today? Good. Good morning, Jay. How are you? You know, I sit here in my uh, home studio looking out at the bay every day, and I'm, I'm watching the snow line come down with every storm that passes by. Uh, the park must be a, a special place in the wintertime, huh? Yeah, it's really interesting to watch winter kind of come to the park. You can, you know, it's our barometer as you see it kind of dust on Grace Ridge and then start to drop further and further down. And just last week I was cruising by Yukon Island and there was snow all the way down to the waterline. You know, so it, winter is definitely here. And I, I'm really interested in kind of seeing the more activity happening. People are starting to use the park more in the winter and finding kind of creative ways to get out and enjoy it, you know, even in the dark days, the, the December and January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in your note to me, you, you mentioned that you're uh, you're a water taxi uh, captain and uh, you've seen more people uh, using the park. What, what are they doing over there? In the wintertime. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we're definitely coming off of our, our the, the biggest year for, I mean, most people in Homer will say that, the biggest tourism season we've ever seen here in Homer. And um, But over the last few years, uh, the phone calls that we've gotten for people wanting to utilize the cabins and just get out in the park and go, and especially like you mentioned, Glacier uh, Skating on the Gruink Lake, has really increased. It's been nice to see. I mean, uh, one of the things I definitely want to talk about uh, is reminding people that wintertime travel is isolated travel and so weather and safety concerns are paramount when you're getting out there but that you know it shouldn't stop you from getting out and enjoying it in those really beautiful you know bluebird days so uh, one of the things that's happened that's kind of been an exciting thing for me is that usually in the wintertime uh there are four cabins which are available to rent through the state park there are three in halibut cove lagoon and then there is sea star cabin back in tutka bay well, Nomad Yurts, uh, the, the yurt rental folks who have the contract with the park, have agreed to leave four of the yurts open and up all winter long. And so there's going to be um, Humpy Creek Yurt, Haystack Yurt, Kayak Beach Yurt, and Tutka One Yurt are all going to be open all winter long available to rent. And I can talk a little bit about kind of each of those as far as uh, what you might be able to do there and also some of the concerns as far as winter weather might go. But it's I'm really excited that they're going to try to give this a go and offer more opportunities for people to stay. And one of the things that people get dissuaded from from wanting to stay 
in the park is staying in the tent. You know, that's like, that's some, I mean, some of the folks that are going to talk after me, they are no stranger to like really going for it in the tent and, and, you know, toughen it out in the winter. But a lot of people, it's like, that's not really what I want to do. Well, the yurts, I, I'm pretty excited that you get a fire going in the yurt in the stove and within an hour they're warm and comfortable, you know, so it's a nice place to stay and it makes the kind of a nice place to go back to after you've been exploring for the day. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I could just oh, briefly yeah. talk about about Humpy Creek. Humpy Creek is probably the uh, the most isolated of the yurts to get to. Uh, it needs a real specific tide, so that's kind of that can make it a little problematic. And it's also very exposed to weather, so weather is paramount. When you start to plan your trip uh, and you rent your yurt, pay very close attention close attention to the marine forecast and to see what's coming and know that that forecast is often not correct <laughs> and it changes you know you have to be prepared to cancel your trip or amend your trip and just be ready to you know do something differently uh, but humpy creek gives you access can give you access to growing glacier lake so you can stay at the yurt and then go across the tram and then get on the trail and then go all the way to the glacier lake glacier skating has been something that's really taken off in the last few years uh, we would just kind of have these really cold snaps that come through. And if it's a really quick cold snap and maybe get a little bit of rain afterwards, it almost like Zambonis all of Gruink Lake and makes this beautiful surface for ice skating. And then there are these big blue iceberg chunks that have come off the lake that people like to skate around. And so it's a, it's a pretty unique opportunity that's starting to get explored. You know, I, uh, I, for years, I've been seeing pictures of, from friends down in Juneau showing uh, you know, them skating around Mendenhall Glacier right. Lake there. And, uh, you know, it's just awesome. And I had no idea we could do it here. One, I didn't think it froze hard enough to ever do that. But uh, right. it's, it's amazing that, uh, that that's available. Uh, are there, are there, uh, is there like an ice skating club? Do you guys go over there and play hockey or something? What's, what, <laughs> well, there, I've seen some pickup hockey been played for sure. And people, there's even a little bit of broom ball. I mean, my, my wife's the director for uh, Pier 1 Theater and then does stuff with the Nutcracker. And because of COVID, there was no Nutcracker uh, last year. So they took dancers over and did a photo shoot on the lake in full tutus and everything out there. It was pretty remarkable. Holy cow. I never saw yeah. those. Are they on <laughs> Facebook somewhere? I think they're on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so going over there in the winter, you're, you're talking about, well, you can get a yurt or, uh, you know, there are folks who uh, stay in Kansas and you got got some uh, cabins as well. But uh is is what's it what's it like over there and it's very steep and so i imagine the hillsides clear themselves of snow pretty well what's the avalanche danger hiking around there uh well i think as you get further back there it, like on the lake itself there's not really an avalanche danger there the trail itself is uh cleared enough that i mean sometimes people actually have skied or snowshoed in if there's big drifts but there's not really an avalanche danger on the um the 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 glacier spit trail itself and then saddle trail is typically we'll take people over to saddle trail drop them off they'll hike up saddle trail go to the lake and then come back via saddle trail that can be steep and icy especially because it gets, it gets exposed to southern uh snow uh snow and melt so we recommend people bring cleats and hiking poles is a good thing to have mm-hmm yeah. yeah uh and um i didn't hear much this past summer but last year all sorts of bear sightings even uh brown bears moving down from the north a little bit yeah. mm -hmm. uh are they are they uh, good and hibernated uh, over there 
<laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so as far as we've seen, we've never had any have a bear sighting that time of year, December or January. I think they're all denned up and sleeping away. Uh, and this year, I think because it was such a good berry year, the bears were much further out. There were very few bear encounters. I mean, the year before, there was a lot of kind of worrisome bear encounters. And this year, very, very few bear encounters this year uh, in the summertime. So I'm expecting there'll be just nothing in the winter. Oh, wow. That's good to yeah. hear. That's yeah. good to hear. So I, I guess I want to just kind of move ahead, just uh, talk about the, the Halibut Cove Lagoon cabins. Also, those are for rent via the state park website. Uh, the thing that's really lovely about Halibut Cove Lagoon is that it's sheltered from almost every weather direction, except if it blows kind of northeasterly a little bit, it can kind of get ripply in there. So kayaking is a year-round option. It, it, the ice is typically not as much of an issue in Halibut Cove Lagoon, and those cabins are wonderful. I mean, we, we owe a big debt to Dave Brand and his efforts to make those cabins, you know, just as nice as they are. There's so much project volunteer work that's happened back there to keep them going nice and strong. So Halibut Cove wow, Lagoon man. cabins are another good option. Yeah, you can go there and uh, spend the weekend rubbing uh, rubbing shoulders with the uh, with the uh, uh, the people with the mansions over there. <laughs> well, so Halibut Cove Lagoon is a separate body of water. So it's oh. if you go around the oh, back it's, side, it's just north, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you go around the back side, uh, you go back in there. There are three cabins back in there. There's also an Airbnb that I think might be managed by Allison O'Hara. So you could look up the Halibut Cove Lagoon airbnb option but uh my family's gone back there several times in the winter like right after christmas and again your days are short but you have this beautiful cozy little cabin to hang out in you get the entire lagoon to yourself and that's something i really enjoy about the wintertime experience is that you know as tourism becomes more and more active busier and busier you know your solitude factor in catching bay state park is a little harder to achieve but in the wintertime you typically get it to yourself and it's really lovely that's awesome yeah. And you said there are other, um, are, are those the only, where the cabins are at uh, So there's those cabins, and then Sea Star Cabin is probably my favorite cabin to rent, and that's in the back, uh, about midway uh, back in Tutka Bay. Uh, and I will say, and also now that Tutka One Yurt is available, Tutka One Yurt, like it has access to Grace Ridge, but Grace Ridge in the wintertime is not a place most people would go. So I would imagine a Tutka One Yurt experience would be maybe a little bit of kayaking or just getting the chance to kind of get away from it all. And then Sea Star Cabin has a trail that goes up towards uh, Tutka Lake. Uh, the thing about Tutka, uh, Tutka Lagoon, getting back there, starting at the Tutka Bay right now, that I've been seeing more and more is that as fresh water dumps into the bay, freezing of the bay is happening much earlier than I've ever seen before. There was a quarter inch of ice back there last week. <laughs> so wow. there is definitely uh, you have to watch the weather. If you see those temperatures dropping below 30 some degrees, I think it's really important to take into consideration that you might have to spend an extra day or two back there just to let the ice clear out and move around because your water taxi operator is not going to be able to get back into that ice. So that's one oh, concern. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it is gorgeous back in there. I mean, there are times when you're just crystal blue sky days. There's very little wind. And, you know, you just get that whole bay open to yourself. And if, you get, if you're a kayaker, it's a great opportunity if the ice isn't there at all. And mm -hmm. then uh, along those lines, maybe a little bit further out, which won't deal as much as an ice risk, would be Kayak Beach Yurt is going to stay up all year round. And so Kayak Beach Yurt, again, has access to the other side of Grace Ridge. You could probably hike up a little bit. But I think, again, those yurts are going to be a place for you just to kind of get away from it all and maybe do a little bit of kayaking. Uh, trail access, maybe not as much. Mm -hmm. What um, 
what amenities or uh, access do you have for uh, folks who might be uh, older or have uh, mobility issues? Are there places where, you know, they could go or be taken and uh, enjoy the park as well? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, several water taxi companies have landing crafts. I operate a landing craft. So you can walk right off of the boat. It's, a, it's an easy way to get onto the beach. Um, and then Haystack Yurt is probably the most accessible of the yurts. It's just straight across the bay. You're within cell phone service the whole time. So like as someone, I have a six-year-old son. I like going there with, with my family because I feel like I always have kind of close, quick access if something were to happen. You know, it's, it feel, it feel a lot more secure and safe. So Haystack Yurt then is, is, uh, gives you access to McEwen Spit, which is a four or five mile long beach where you can just walk along that beach. And then there's a trail that goes back a ways that you can explore. Uh, that's all fairly flat. So I think those, that's a great way to, for someone that might not want to do too much movement, worried about ice, that's a great uh, yurt to access. Mm -hmm. Excellent. You know, we uh, broadcast the uh, uh, trails report every uh, summer, uh, right. during the summer for the park there. And right. uh, well into August, there was a couple of trails that were impassable because of snow. And I'm wondering, uh, are they passable now because, you know, it's all snow and you can use snowshoes? <laughs> what, there are, are, what few, are the trails like? <laughs> there, there are a few trails. I mean, honestly, I think uh, the Saddle Trail and Glacier Spit Trail are probably the most accessible trails. Uh, if you're not really someone that's comfortable with hiking poles and almost like more of a, a crampon kind of situation, like you start to go up. I mean, I have friends, and again, the people that are going to speak after me are very willing just to go for it. And I... As someone like, I'm, as a as someone that picks up these people and drops them off, I'm always thinking about the worst case scenario. Like Grace Ridge is a is a hike that I don't really recommend unless you are a very confident mountaineer. Really, it's, it's you know it can be icy and drifts, and then there are places where there might be some avalanche risk. So the trails themselves, I think Glacier Spit, until it really gets drifted in, uh, and Saddle Trail are your best bets as far as getting out and hiking. Besides just doing beach walks, and that's what I think is really fun. We drop you off at Glacier Spit. You can hike, you know, that four or five miles of Glacier Spit just to explore the beaches out there and not have to worry about getting back into the, the icy drifts. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I should mention that we are taking phone calls. If you'd like, uh, like to ask a question of our guests, our phone number is 235-7721. Uh, make sure you dial 907 now, I guess. Um, and we are uh, talking about... Winter Activities in Kachemak Bay State Park. We've got Kirk Jackson on the line, Kim McNett, Carl Stolfus, Aaron McKittridge, and Amelia Pollock. Um, Aaron, can I turn to you really quickly? Because I want to ask you about snowshoe running. I think Kim uh, Kim is on right now as that guest sign-in. Oh, so then, and, oh, and, then, and then we'll jump down, yeah. Oh, so, all right. So well, and just know, really Kim, quickly. I wanted I just... to ask you about the, yeah, go ahead. I just really quickly before I kind of hop on again, I um, I really want to emphasize the safety factor, cell phone access in most places along the beaches. As you get further back in, you start to lose cell phone service. So a Garmin inReach is a very, very handy piece of hardware to add to your wintertime experiences if you don't have one already. Wow. Are there places uh, locally where you can rent those? Uh, yes, you can go to South uh, Central Radar there on the spit right by uh down the road from the salty dog mark is there he's the owner of south uh, central radar and he has really uh great options for that 
Wow, that's excellent. I had a, a friend, uh, I don't want to say like four or five years ago, uh, it saved her and her companion's life up there on the uh, Harding Ice Field. They were snowed yeah. in for four days. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, get an in-reach, absolutely. Yep, yep. So I'll hand it off to Kim if she's ready to go. Yeah, hi, Kim. How are you? Okay, hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Sorry, can you hear me all right? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, great. Sorry. The new technology and stuff. Um, I hope I'm coming in clear. I know. You are coming um, in clear. So let me ask you about journaling in the park in the winter. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, KBBI and Curtis, um, for, for inviting me onto this program. Um, and to talk about art, art in the park. Um, so I just, uh, I'm so grateful that we live in this incredibly beautiful place and there's really no shortage for creative inspiration out there um, and to have wild spaces that we can access like the park year round. Um, and I'm excited to hear that there's more shelters um, that will be available for people to use year round. So um, I'll talk a little bit about my artistic practice, which is uh, the keeping of a nature journal. And um, I do this to uh, help myself connect to place and foster curiosity and affection for the natural world. It's pretty playful and spontaneous and curiosity driven. Um, and it's it's really not about making like a perfect polished piece of art, but sort of a, this sketchy page style with notes and labels and um, little naturalist observations. Um, and so it's, it really plays on being in a time and a place. Um, but I, I would advocate for anyone who has a creative practice to, um, you know, take some time across the bay as a little artist retreat, if you will. Um, and it's it's a good idea for a lot, a lot of reasons. Um, one being, if if you go across the bay, well, you we you spoke about being the solitude um, and being able to be you know alone or with your um, group of friends, and so you get to unplug and have this nice window of time to settle in and immerse yourself in a practice without those daily distractions that can make are difficult in our everyday life. Um, and so, you know, I, I can see that staying in a yurt or a cabin would just provide you with that space and shelter that you need to um, at least stage yourself for doing things like field sketching or, or plein air painting. And um, the idea of going out with some friends and having that social support and company um, has a lot of appeal. Um, and in terms of it being in the winter, I mean, winter scenes are just remarkably beautiful. The lighting is often fantastic. We have long sunrises and sunsets and um, dynamic weather that I always like to try to incorporate in my landscape scenes and um, drawing or painting the uh, you know, landscapes that have snow and ice on them is really adds an appeal to a landscape because it's so bright. So you get to incorporate all of this negative space um, in your composition. And um, it, it sort of, winter also pairs down the landscape in a way and makes it a little less busy. So um, I, I've learned to really appreciate trying to sketch or paint winter scenes for that reason. And um, something I got really into last winter was documenting the night sky. And because that's something we don't get here in the summer is to be able to see the constellations and the moon phases and and even if you're lucky the northern lights 
And then, um, as Curtis knows, uh, uh, last winter, uh, I went across when the ice was frozen. I loved ice skate too. Um, and, and skate or, uh, sketch the icebergs in Gruink Lake while, while wearing my ice skates. Um, and it was so much fun. <laughs> They're like these really awesome sculptures with beautiful blues and reflections. And, um, it was just a, a beautiful thing. I would love to do that again if we get the conditions this year. And yeah, so I guess, you know, the, the, the power of observation, I feel like, is really enhanced by this type of art form. And I went, when I went back in the summer, I was able to actually recognize a lot of the icebergs that I had painted. And I had actually named them um, based on their shapes. And I was what? like, oh, <laughs> that's the fork or that's the castle, um, even though they had changed in shape. So wow. um, that's wild. I guess you to know... finish, I'll just – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's wild that you recognize the uh, icebergs. And I was going to say, uh, uh, I was reading something from a, uh, a forecaster in Anchorage, National Weather Service, talking about the uh, uh, upcoming winter, and it should be uh, five to so uh, degrees cooler than average here, uh, around here. So maybe there'll be ice this year, good ice for skating. Yeah, my fingers are crossed for that. Apparently, we are continuing in a La Nina, which is, I guess, makes for colder, drier conditions in Alaska. So, yeah, fingers crossed we get another wonderful winter of ice skating. Um, I have some tips, too. If people are curious about going and and doing some art in the winter across the bay, I just have, like, a little list of things that I've kind of learned. by Because it is challenging to be creative outside um, in the winter. Um, so I'll just go through this list and then um, and then I'll, I'll pass it off here. But um, so, you know, co- cold and wet conditions can make things challenging for, for an artist. Um, so uh, bringing a, a small stool or a camp chair or even a, a piece of foam to sit on on the ground so that you can be still in one place without you know getting cold or you can stay more comfortable um mittens or fingerless gloves and then i will take those little chemical heat packs and break them and put them inside and i do that ahead of time so that um if i need to take my hand out for dexterity i can always stick it back in that mitten and it's just this little oven that i get to warm my hand back up in uh thermos of tea really warm clothes and even like a throw blanket or they make those little packable down blankets um, to cover. If you're sitting in a chair, you can cover your lap with that. Um, You may want to consider an umbrella if it's raining. And then I always bring a camera too um, because if I don't finish, if I need to move on or I get too cold and I want to keep referencing that, I'll take a picture and I can reference that later, you know, in in my camp or, or in the yurt after it's dark. And some some studio artists might just want to make a trip across the bay just to collect photos um, that they will use for reference later. And then um, thinking mm. about what media you use, uh, if it's going to be freezing out, that can cause some problems. Um, so I, I tend to like dry media, though I, I do watercolor. It's challenging in the freeze freezing conditions to watercolor. Um, Erin McKittrick, who's coming on next, she's taken up nature journaling, and she's been using toned paper with colored pencils including white pencils and it's been really neat to 
watch what she creates to um, you know be able to draw the snow and that's a dry media that's not not going to um, have problems in freezing temperatures so I hope those little tips are inspiring and mm -hmm. really it's all about doing it your way and uh, I'd, I'd love to hear if people um, end up across the bay to make art so thank you for for having me on to share yeah, you bet. Uh, that is, those are some very good tips, uh, actually, and uh, especially about using the dry media. I'd uh, hate to try to squeeze a tube of acrylic out when it's, when it's 20 degrees or keep watercolors uh, thawed. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Kim, is your work uh, uh, on display or, or uh, showing anywhere around town? I'd love to see some of your work from over there. Oh, great. Yeah, um, I have... Uh a website and a social media handle called Kim's Nature Drawings. Um, and you can okay. see some of my work there. And I will also be having um, an exhibit at the Bunnell Street Art Center in December, um, including some op open studio times and workshops. So if you want to see some of my journal pages um, and or kind of studio works, they'll, they'll be on display there in December. Oh, excellent. Uh, Bunnell Street Art Center in December. Yes. Terrific. Wow, that's great. Um, Kurt, who else do we have up here uh, to talk about uh, fun things to do in the park? Is is uh, Carl with us to talk about uh, birding, or is uh, Aaron joined us to talk about yeah, snowshoe running? I think Carl should be up next. I think so. I just was back in the bay, and I saw, like, over a, several hundred uh, sooty shearwaters, and that was just one of those things that made me think of Carl as, like, this is like the person in Homer that has like his finger on the birding pulse more than anyone else. It'd be really fun to have him talk a little bit about winter birds on the bay. Excellent. Are you, Carl, there, are you with us? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm here. Hello. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, yeah. Hi. Uh, we can hear you just fine. Um, how are things uh, in the park for birding in the wintertime? Well, in the winter, we often see different things. Um, there's some things, some birds that winter here um, that you don't see in the summer. Um, one, one of the birds that uh, people come here to see are the Stellar's Eiders. Um, they, they winter here, but they nest uh, further north and west from, um, from this area. So, but in the winter, there's usually um, some flocks off the spit that you can see. Um, we used to have common eiders um, and king eiders that you might see in the summer, but they seem to have disappeared. They no longer nest in the bay. So those are others that we might see in the, in the uh, wintertime as well, and we don't see in the summer um, hardly at all anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Another species what, uh, that we would happens? see in the summer. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what happens to the uh, birds in the summer, like uh, puffins and what have you that we see on the water? Uh, where do they go in the winter? Well, they just disperse. Um, every so often you might see one mm -hmm. in the winter, but um, they're usually further out where there's more, um, more, more food supply. Ah, okay. Such uh, as I interrupted you, so go ahead. Island. Well, ah, another, okay. another bird that we see here in, in the... Um, in the winter time, which we would not see in the summer, are long-tailed ducks. That would be another one, um, and also uh, some of the loon species, such as um, red-throated loons and yellow-billed loons. Um, 
those are much much more rare in the summer to see. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite bird, which I only ever got to see like on Christmas Day when I lived down in Kodiak, uh, are uh, Bohemian waxwings. You got any over there? Because if you do, I'm I'm scheduling a trip with Kurt right now. <laughs> well, you're more likely to see those in town. They love eating the um, those um, uh, berries of uh, some of the some of the trees that have berry, berries here in town. Oh, okay. So you're not as not as likely to see them across the bay. I understand, uh, and I'm sure this is summer only, and I, I, I don't want to get too far away from uh, wintertime things, but is it true in the summertime you can see hummingbirds over there? That's true. The rufous hummingbirds, um, there's quite a few of them over there across the bay. Some people put out feeders for them, and, and that, that attracts them, so you'll, you'll see quite a few over there. Wow. I hope they migrate over here soon. Or, well, I guess I can go over to the park, right? So. <laughs> well, you do see them on this side of the bay as well, too. But uh, there's more of them over across the bay. Oh, man. If I can <clears throat> break into uh, Jay. Yeah, go ahead, Kurt. Oh, uh, one of the things that I've seen that's been kind of really interesting the last few years is just the increase in great blue heron populations. Uh, so Halibut Cove now has a pretty solid group of great blue herons that hang out. And I just spoke with Shannon Moore and Little Tutka, and she thinks there's over 20 that are there. And I think in Seldovia as well, they're seeing great blue herons that are nesting there and staying year-round. It's just kind of something that's, I don't know if as things warm up a little bit, they're starting to feel more comfortable hanging out all winter. But it's, it's a pretty neat sight to see those guys cruising around in December, January. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, yeah do, those there, are does seem birds. To, there does seem to be an increase, although they've been around for quite a, you know, I've, I've seen them... Um, in you know, 25 years ago, you'd see great blue herons here on this right, side right. and also across the bay, but not not quite the numbers that we see now. And now we're seeing them in the summer as well, which is which is interesting because they must be nesting somewhere in the area. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the uh, wintertime, it seems uh, eagles are more concentrated around Kachemak Bay than summertime. Um, that that could be. Although there's a lot in the summer, um, I think that people are still feeding eagles in the winter, baiting them for photographers. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that's a good idea, but that's that's what happens. Right. The the state thinks it's not a good idea. It's 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 illegal. So <laughs> yeah, please right. don't do that. And you know, uh, I. I didn't used to like birds until I moved to Kodiak, and they're just birds everywhere. And now I love birds. I have birding books, and I, uh, I have binoculars. I'm not much of a birder, but I, I just love the fact that there are so many birds here uh, to view of, of all different kinds, right? We've, we've got pelagic birds. We've got uh, wading birds. Uh, uh, the variety is just incredible, right? What, what, uh, what, what are the numbers usually for the winter bird count? You know, I, I mean, not specifically, I but yeah, I, I don't really I don't have the numbers here with me, so I, I couldn't say for sure. Um, yeah, but, but the counts have been up in the, you know, 60 or 70 different species the last last few years. There seem to be more um, more species around that, that stay the winter. Mm hmm. 
Are you doing are you doing uh, tours that might get people to see eiders uh, during the winter at all, or is it more towards the spring? Usually, I go out more towards the spring. They they okay. usually depart Homer around the first week of April. Um, okay. But if you go late late March or that first week of April, you'll likely to see them out there yet. Yes. Well, you, let's uh, nine thirty six. Let's take a uh, yep. quick dance break here, and we will uh, come back with the second half of our show. You're listening to the coffee table. I'm Jay Barrett. We are talking about wintertime activities in Kachemak Bay State Park with uh, Kurt Jackson, uh, Kim McNett, Carl Stolfus, Aaron McKittrick, and Amelia Pollock. And we will be back in just a few minutes with the second half of the coffee table. Nine thirty nine. You're listening to Public Radio KBBI. I'm Jay Barrett. This is the Coffee Table. Today we're talking about wintertime activities in Kachemak Bay State Park. If you have questions about what to do over there, or how to get over there, or how to do what you're going to do once you get there, give us a call two three five seven seven two one. We have a panel of experts standing by who uh, are all about the park. Let's um. Let's turn to uh, Aaron McKittridge. Uh, on the note here, I have uh, tide pooling, glacier skating, and snowshoe running. I've, uh, I've done one of those things. <laughs> Tell us about the activities uh, that, that you could do over there in the park. So I live in Soldovia, which kind of puts me in a unique position in that whether or not I go into the park, I basically live in terrain that's pretty similar to the park all year round, which gives me a lot of motivation to figure out, you know, how to enjoy it in all seasons. And so one of the things I always try to do is to make sure that I have, you know, activities that'll, that'll get me out there no matter what the weather is doing. And so You've heard about glacier skating out at uh, Gruink Lake, which is amazing. And it's something that'll get, you know, huge crowd of Homer people there, but it's only gonna happen for like a few days a year, maybe a couple. If you're lucky, you might get a good set of conditions twice in a winter. So one of the things, I'm a big trail runner in the summer, love, love running through mountains and trails and off trails and I realized that you know in the winter you get some light running snowshoes and you can access most or all of that terrain in the winter too and 
Unlike backcountry skiing, which I also like, you can snowshoe run even when the snow conditions are pretty crappy. So uh, <laughs> I have snowshoes. If it's if the snow if it's like deep, heavy snow, I have little spikes to put on my shoes. If it's not, and one of the nice things about winter too is if you get a decent snowpack, once you get like a little bit above sea level, you don't have to really go on the trails anymore. You can just start running which is really kind of a pretty slow form of running if you're running with snowshoes um just off through the ridges and i kind of do that at my from my house almost every day in the winter unless i'm skiing and then in the park you can kind of do the same thing i know uh, kurt mentioned quite a bit about safety avalanches that kind of thing and one of the things I do in the winter is I often just like don't go to the very, you know, steepest, tallest places that I might scramble over in the summer. I'll just stick to like that kind of intermediate elevation terrain where things are more gentle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, of course, are a, a very experienced hiker. Uh, we've, uh, I've even done stories about your uh, your treks. Uh, are there places over there that uh, you know innocent bystanders can can enjoy uh, uh, as well as those who are fit outdoors persons? I mean, there's a there's like two kind of aspects to that. One is experience, and one is effort, right? Because it's it's going to take a lot of work to be moving around on snowshoes, so it's always going to be hard in that way, but it doesn't necessarily need to be technically difficult. So I know Kurt mentioned that, you know, if you were at the Grace Ridge Trail, you could go partway up, and I think partway up is pretty a pretty good idea in most of the areas around Kachemek Bay because you don't tend to get the the really steep possibly sketchy conditions with the sketchier weather until you get higher. So I think you can basically go to most trails and cruise around in the like forest and alder zone as far as your uh, physical fitness um, dictates and, and be pretty happy with that. Also, like when you get up to the high ridges, like the blowing snow, in addition to potentially causing avalanche danger, is kind of unpleasant. So <laughs> you have more luck in the lower yeah, elevations. I, mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I, I've only spent limited time on the other side of the bay there. And uh, here's a question I've always wondered, and I've never had a chance to ask anyone. Is there a, um, a connecting trail? You know, where people can start at one end of the bay and go to the other, you know, walk all the way up or down it? Or are, are these all trails that kind of go in, you know, maybe in certain spots and maybe connect a little bit, but there's no one thoroughfare? You mean down the length of Kachemak Bay? Is that what you're, yeah. what you're asking? Yeah, connecting all these trails. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... Simple answer is no. More complicated answer is um, I've done versions of that in the summer, but you really need pack raft to connect things up. Like you need a pack raft to cross the fjords. Like it's basically a bunch of fjords over here. So you have steep ridges and bays in between them. And 
no practical way to just walk down the length, not like you could on the north side. Oh, okay. I understand. Huh. Wow. Um, glacier skating? Uh, we're looking for, for a cold winter here. Is Grink uh, Glacier Lake the only place to do that, or are there other uh, skating spots uh, you know of that you'd, you'd be willing to share? Oh, well, I think actually, um, although, you know, I uh, haven't done it often, like the the Tutka cabin, the Sea Star cabin and the t um, that Kurt mentioned is like connected to Tutka Lake via short trail. And if it's cold enough, that's quite a big lake that freezes and you can skate on it. It's not a glacier, so you're not going to have the icebergs, but it's a pretty lake in the forest. And so that's probably the most accessible other one in the park, that one in Glacier Lake. Most of the other lakes are uh, further and higher. Mm -hmm. But Gruink is yeah. also What's your favorite pretty special. Uh-huh. Right. What's your favorite part of the uh, aspect of the park? My favorite aspect of the park uh, in the winter or mm -hmm. just in general? Oh, well, let's start with the winter, sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, you know, I would have to put the, the Gruink ice skating as the top winter activity, and maybe partly just because it is special, you know. It makes it more special because you can only possibly do it, you know. You'll get, like, one week or maybe two in a year that has the right conditions, maybe less. Um, More in general... I love just the the mountains and the ridges. I've uh, been involved in the Tutka Backdoor Trail uh, for for many years, and just like the some of that less accessible outer coast mountains area of the park is is really lovely. One of my favorite spots. Mm-hmm. It's about 10 minutes before 10 o'clock. You're listening to The Coffee Table. I'm Jay Barrett. We're talking about winter activities in Kachemak Bay State Park. You know, we've uh, we've talked uh, exclusively about things to do either on uh, uh, land and snow or uh, frozen frozen water. But uh, apparently, and Kurt, uh, back me up here, there are uh, exciting developments in gear and opportunities to free dive in Kachemak Bay. And we have someone here to uh, speak to that. That's correct. Yeah, just really briefly, I'll introduce it. So Amelia lives in Seldovia, and her and her husband have started uh, AK Freediver, uh, which is a store and a group dedicated to getting people out to actually free dive in Kachemak Bay. And I'll just say real briefly before I hand it off to Amelia, like, I'm someone that gets cold in the water. And I thought for sure I'm going to spend maybe 20 minutes and be, my teeth are going to be chattering. And I'm going to want to get out. But the technology that has happened in wetsuit development and things, I was in the water for two hours about a month ago and did not get cold. So I'll turn it over to Amelia and talk about their stuff they're working on. Man, hi, Amelia. How are you today? Um, hi, Jay. I'm doing great. Um, so as you mentioned, we've heard about winter activities on land, and I wanted to introduce the concept of freediving because <clears throat> there's absolutely a stigma against swimming in the ocean and this concept is just blowing people's minds right now. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd like to read a short article that I've been preparing for, been preparing for our blog at Alaska Freediver, um, which is titled, yeah. What is Freediving Anyway? 
Yeah, go for it. Okay. So for most coastal Alaskans, the mere thought of being submerged in the ocean is fine-chilling, evoking thoughts of paralyzing pools, hypothermia, and the Homer Spitz ever-expanding fisherman's memorial. Everyone in coastal Alaska knows someone who knows someone who is related to someone who is lost at sea. It has been ingrained in every child from Prince of Wales Island to Point Barrow to Attu that the ocean is unsafe. Besides the hottest day in July, you simply don't jump in. And you definitely don't stay in or purposefully swim out into the massive tidal flux and gnarly currents. So one might wonder about the recent newspaper articles and images popping up on social media of folks diving into the ocean in Alaska, spending time swimming around, and even landing salmon and halibut. Don't they know that the ocean is unsafe? <clears throat> well, meet free diving. Not scuba diving, where you breathe compressed air and wear airtight dry suits with all the bells and whistles. Free diving is scuba diving's version of bivouac camping, bare bones. Strips of unnecessary gear, allowing the individual to interact more naturally with the environment. By definition, free diving is the exploration of the ocean in minimal snorkel gear with only the breath in one's lungs. In the water, a free diver will slow their breath, expand their lungs, and take in an extra large gulp of air. They will then submerge themselves, maybe playing near the surface, swimming through tendrils of kelp, or maybe diving down to a comfortable trained depth of 10, 20, 30, 40, or many more feet, and staying there exploring until they feel the urge to breathe. Often that urge will be dismissed a time or two before resurfacing. Now, add Add a spear gun or pole spear in your spear fishing, or leave the fishing gear at home and you've entered extreme tide pooling. Think of 360 degrees of tide pool creatures coming out of their shells and moving freely in their natural habitat, combined with a myriad of other sea creatures in the water column that you would never see during a normal tide pooling expedition. Undoubtedly, if you've ever been tide pooling around Ketchumak Bay and you've looked at the water's edge, looked at the height of your boots, and then thought, if only I could go a little farther. Well, guess what? You can. And you can stay fairly warm doing it, at least for an hour or two, like Kurt mentioned. Folks freediving in Ketchumac Bay don a somewhat lengthy yet simple list of gear. A hooded, open-cell neoprene wetsuit, preferably 5 to 9 millimeters thick, equally thick gloves and socks, 12 to 25 pounds of weight, three-foot-long fins, and, of course, a massive snorkel. A basic freediving gear package can be purchased for around the same price as a shiny new pair of backcountry ski boots, so you can freedive year-round. Actually, the visibility in Ketchumac Bay can be much better in the winter months when the water temperatures dip below 40 and it isn't teeming with light like in the balmy 50-degree water during the summer. Like any water activity on Ketchumac Bay, there are many factors that you need to consider before going on a freediving expedition. As many of you know, Ketchumac Bay has one of the biggest tidal exchanges in the world, resulting in extremely, extremely strong currents. So know the tides and watch the weather before heading out. And remember, the number one rule in the freediving world is to never swim alone. Always go with a buddy, just like you learned in swim class when you were five. Just because it's windy out doesn't mean that you have to forego your dive trip for the day. Ketchumac Bay has tons of coves and bays, bays that you can tuck into and hide from a wind. That has become our favorite part about diving on the south side of Ketchumac Bay. There's almost always a place to dive, regardless of the weather. 
Freediving has recently been described to me by a newcomer to the sport as a form of meditation. Whether you're spearfishing, extreme tide pooling, or bobbing through 12-foot-long tendrils of kelp lit up a golden yellow by the evening sun, it will take your breath away and turn on your inner focus. So what about the deeply ingrained beliefs regarding the danger of Alaska's waters? Well, they are very dangerous, especially to fishermen and other recreationalists unprepared for the icy cold, not expecting to go overboard, or those in a sinking boat situation. However, to the trained individual, diving with the right gear and the right conditions on a planned pursuit, the dangers of the ocean can be nearly negated. We at Alaska Freediver aim to do just that, to ease folks' fear of the ocean through education and awareness and the use of the proper equipment. By changing coastal Alaskans' attitude towards the ocean, we hope to create a culture of individuals who are deeply connected to Alaska's waters. <clears throat> oh, terrific. Thank you for, for that, Amelia. I, uh, I was in, became aware of uh, free diving and spearfishing. I saw an article a couple of months ago of uh, uh, a woman from somewhere. Anyway, she got like a, I don't know, a 60-pound halibut spearfishing while, while diving here, and I, I just thought that was uh, uh, incredible. Um, thank you all for uh, joining us here today. We are just about out of time. Kurt, can do you I... have any uh, last, uh, last things to, uh, to share with us? Uh, yeah, two quick things. So the, that that record was in, here in Homer, and it was with uh, the Coldwater folks. They took her out, and they got the women's uh, halibut spearfishing record. Uh, right. And then along the line of bringing up fishing, I would be remiss to say that with winter, uh, we Homer lost probably one of its brightest lights for advocating winter fishing, and that was Josh Brooks. Uh, and his memorial will be this Sunday at 1 p.m., at the Seafarers Memorial. So it would be wonderful to have a nice show of support for somebody that really was a huge advocate for getting out and enjoying winter in Homer. Well, uh, you know, I just saw a flyer for uh, his service uh, yesterday. Yeah, that's, so yeah. that's uh, Sunday at the uh, Seafarers Memorial. What time? That's again? correct. 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Uh, well, I want to thank uh, thank you, Kurt, for uh, putting this together and lighting up all of our guests, uh, Kim McNett, Carl Stolfus, Aaron McKittrick, and Amelia Pollock. Uh, thank you all so much for sharing your experiences from the park. It just makes it uh, that much more uh, real and personal to, uh, to all of us uh, listening. And uh, thank you all again. Thank you. All right. Let's uh, head back to the uh, studio where Josh Crone is standing by. I also want to thank uh, Simon Lopez for his uh, work today uh, behind the scenes. Uh, it's been The Coffee Table. I'm Jay Barrett. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.